0: Welcome to this week's version of the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, your host, and let's get right to the show. We have as our first guest today, Scott McCartney. He is the middle seat columnist from the Wall Street Journal. Hey, Scott, thank you for coming back to the Fromer Travel Show.
1: Always good to be with you, Pauline. So
0: I hate to start the show with bad news, but you had bad and important news for travelers in your most recent column, and that is if they're holding a voucher from an airline, from a tour company, from a hotel, you name it, it may be invalid soon. What's going on?
1: Well, I think this this could be a huge consumer problem. I looked at the financial filings of the four biggest airlines and, and they're now holding $10 billion worth of travel credits and vouchers from canceled trips, uh, from trips canceled in the pandemic. And and just to give you a taste of what the problem is, uh, United said in its filing that it, it expects um, that a significant portion of that, and, and they have $3 billion by themselves, that a significant portion of that will expire unredeemed. Uh, And so this is the problem. Um, Travelers were given, instead of refunds, they they were given vouchers and travel credits. And a lot of them expire soon. Um, And yet people aren't, a lot of people aren't ready to travel. They don't know when they're going to be able to uh, go overseas to Europe, for example, or Asia. And so um, a lot of credits uh, last until the end of the year, but a lot also expire uh, before then. If you bought a ticket at Delta, for example, sometime last year after April 17th, it only uh, lives for one year. And so there could be Delta credits that are expiring in April, May, June uh, that um, are going to end up being worthless.
0: Now, there's a difference in when you bought the ticket, right? If you bought the ticket pre-pandemic... The airlines are treating those tickets in general, and every airline has its own damn policies, but right. in general, they're treating those differently than when supposedly we had knowledge and shouldn't
1: have been so foolish. Yes. <laughs> Yes and no. Um, uh, uh, okay. Yes, you, you are you. You're correct. Um, uh, generally, that's true. Um, I would say one notable exception is Southwest, um, which which really kind of has a bizarre thing going. Um, they, they treated um, existing credits that were going to expire during the pandemic as though uh, they got pandemic treatment, um, and so they, they were very generous. They gave um, two extra years. Um, there are actually some credits at Southwest, Southwest that may be good for three and a half years, but then they cut it off at September seventh. Um, and it, in effect, you can think of it this way: the pandemic ended uh, at Southwest uh, September seventh in terms of. Um, how they treated tickets <laughs> sold. Uh, so if you if you bought tickets yeah. after that, and a lot of people, a typical scenario, uh, people were dying to travel uh, over Christmas last year. And then the surge happened. And so, and I was one of these people. I had tickets to go to California, see my kids. And uh, and then California went on lockdown. Um, so I ended up with a credit. Uh, right. Anything on Southwest after September 7th only gets one year. So here we are, we're coming, you know, we're not that far from September 7th. Those credits have to be used yeah. uh, by their one year expiration date. And another complexity to all this is, um, in general, this is not true at all airlines, but in general, credits are only valid uh, from the date that you actually bought the ticket, and you have to complete the travel. You can't just uh, say, oh, I'll book a trip 11 months from now. You actually have to finish your travel by the expiration of the credit, so you may not have as much time wow. as you think you do.
0: Now, the fact that some people got these credits is also controversial because some people were given vouchers for flights that never happened and they should have gotten their money back. The Trump administration did nothing. I get it. guess it's now in Mayor Pete's court. You know, he has to decide whether or not he's going to force the airlines to give money back because they shouldn't have given vouchers in the first place for a lot of these flights if they were canceled, right? Right.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and I think it's a really important issue. Um, the the uh, U.S. regulations require airlines to offer a refund for any flight that they cancel. And and this applies to international airlines that fly to the U.S. It's not just U.S. airlines. And many airlines didn't. Um, Air Canada is is a perfect example of an airline that completely refused to refund even though they canceled Mm. virtually all their flights uh, to and from the U.S. And they and they claim the Canadian government said it was okay for them to give vouchers. The U.S. government said, no, if you fly to the U.S., you have to abide by U.S. regulations. But that was never enforced by the Trump administration. Um, And it's not just international airlines. Uh, United did this to people um, there were sure. there were lots of situations where airlines really delayed their cancellations and pressured customers into voluntarily accepting vouchers, and then they canceled the flights. And so, you know, huh. one one resolution for this, and I, and you know, I think the I think the trains left the station on it, but um, a lot of people questioned why. Uh, Congress didn't include some something in the airline bailout legislation that would have protected consumers yeah. um, and say, hey, if you're going to get $50 yeah, we've given them billions. grants, yes, yes, then you have to offer a refund to your customers who were forced into taking vouchers um, during the pandemic. Um, so we, we'll see. It, it is still an issue that the Department of Transportation could take on, um, certainly could pressure travel vendors, not just airlines. This has also happened with hotels and Airbnb, VRBO, sure. other other vendors. Well, before, um, uh, you know, I'd love to before see Before we get away from
0: them. airlines, I have two questions for you before we leave airlines. A, do you think uh, Pete, who is now the head of the DOT, I guess we have to call him DOT Pete, as in Department of Transportation. Do you think he'll take this up? That's number one. Number two is, in the past, vouchers worked very much like miles did. So you, you try and turn them in, but they might not work for every flight or it, well, it varied by airline. This was, I actually got this question from the comments on your article. If there is a surge in travel, Will people have trouble making good with these vouchers? Will the airlines accept them if they can have somebody paying for a new seat?
1: Well, um, the Mayor Pete question is is interesting, and, and I really don't know. What I do know is that the department, that he seems very much focused on ground transportation issues, on infrastructure, hmm. and even, even rail. There has been very little mention of airline issues. So... Um, hoping that changes because this is a pressing airline issue. In terms of the, uh, the vouchers' validity, um, in in theory, the voucher should be as good as cash. At the airline, so there there shouldn't be a capacity restriction, you know. So some, sometimes, as you say, with frequent flyer miles, uh, you know, there are only two seats available on a flight. That's not the case with vouchers. Um, the airline should accept it as cash. Okay, However, good, good. There there are all kinds of complexities to these things written by airlines to make them more difficult to use. One restriction, for example, is that you can only use it for the person who is named on the voucher. So if if you and a friend travel mm. together, you get two vouchers, one for you, one for the friend. And This has happened many times. Um, a grandfather who bought tickets for entire family, including two-year-old Grandchildren. Well, there are vouchers in the name of the two-year-old grandchildren because there was a ticket, and so only yeah. the two-year-old grandchild can use that particular voucher. There are also situations wow. where, it, you know, there may be vouchers, and this is this has gotten a whole lot rarer, but it has happened. Vouchers that only apply to certain fair classes, um, so you can't use the voucher for uh, a cheaper ticket or that kind of thing. Um, another thing that catches people is at some airlines, um, the voucher is only good for one time use. So if you have a $900 voucher and you buy a $200 ticket, the airline's going to pocket the $700 difference. Now, other airlines wow. will give you a new voucher for residual value, but, you know, it's, uh, American will give you residual value. on United, on some of its vouchers, does not give you residual value, and you, you may lose a whole lot of money if you don't use it properly.
0: Holy moly. So let's say you have a voucher for $1,000. You were going to Kuala Lumpur. You're not going to be going there anytime soon. What do you do? What's the advice?
1: Yeah, it, it is really tricky. Um, I, I think the first thing to do is to call the airline and beg uh, for an extension um, <laughs> or or some yeah. kind of change. Some airlines are uh, trying to address with it. Just yesterday, American um, extended their deadline from December 31st out to March 31st of 2022. So you got another three months. And, and people have, have had right. some success calling and saying, there's no way I'm, I am I want to go to Kuala Lumpur. There's no way I'm going this year, um, but maybe next year. And so give me some more time. Another trick to these things is if the airline does give you residual value, book a, a cheap trip to Houston or Cleveland or whatever's close um, and cheap and use your $1,000 voucher and you'll get $800 back or whatever it would be on a new voucher and that new voucher will have a new expiration date and you can kind of roll things along that way.
0: Oh boy, yeah.
1: Um, uh, So you you can game the
0: system that way. You
1: can game the system, but uh, but you do lose. And, you know, it is your money, right? (laughs) Um, Another thing that has been going on, um, and Southwest has been doing this, is they will uh, let people um, pay to extend vouchers. And this is sort of a you know, a form of loan sharking or something ah. that. Uh, uh, but but people <laughs> have reported that Southwest the offer is a hundred dollars per ticket per voucher for a six month extension, and so you know if you have a six hundred dollar ticket. Or something, and and you don't want to lose it. Um, yeah, you can pay another hundred, and or you, what you do is you end up with a five hundred dollar voucher that's good for six months longer.
0: Is it any different uh, the situation with hotels that you might have prepaid for, or tours, or cruises, or is it is it just different iterations of what we've been discussing?
1: You know, I think it's I think it's similar. I've I generally what I've heard uh, there are a couple different things. Uh, The major hotel chains have been pretty good about issuing credits to people. Um, uh, Haven't heard a whole lot of complaints from that. Um, There have been a lot of complaints for some independent hotels where, you know, the the, the in small independent hotel company was in a real bind financially and did not have the, the wherewithal to mm. issue everybody vouchers. The, the French government, for example, gave hotels uh, 18 months of basically refund grace. What, they, what the French law says is uh, you can issue a voucher for 18 months. And if it's not used in that period, then you have to refund and so people are holding uh-huh. vouchers that, you know, they're nervous about it. Um, but they ought to, at yeah. the end of that 18 months, ought to get a refund. There were some, for, for the uh, rental sharing companies, Airbnb, VRBO, uh-huh. it was basically left up to owners of the properties. And a lot of owners did not refund. And uh, people really got stuck. And then then you end up with a voucher that's, you know, only good at a particular property. You may not be going to that property, at least with the airline right. voucher. It, it's not, you know, you don't have to go to the same destination, but you do in, yeah. in, uh, in a lot of uh, rental situations.
0: That probably caught a lot of people unawares because you think, oh, I'm dealing with a multinational corporation. Of course, I'll be able to be flexible in where my money went since I wasn't able to take this trip. But no, you are actually dealing with one individual small owner, which is much more difficult.
1: Right. And it would be be much more useful if your voucher was with the big company, right? Then you could use it for any property. Um, But uh, in this case, you can't.
0: Well, uh, (laughs) thank you for starting off the show in such a depressing fashion, Uh, Scott. Really appreciate it. Great advice. Once again, we've been speaking with Scott McCartney of The Wall Street Journal. So that was some of the bad news in travel, but we never want to leave you with bad news. So we have good news too. And to help deliver that is Toby Smith. She is the lead interpretive aide for a wonderful attraction called the McLeod Plantation in Charleston. Welcome to the Travel Show, Toby. Hello, Pauline.
2: It's wonderful to be with you. Thank
0: you very much for that warm welcome. So, In the past at Fromers, we've had to cover plantations in the South. And it's always a tricky thing to do because you don't want to glamorize that region of the world uh, pre-Civil War. You know, you have gone with the wind and you have a whole movement in this country to kind of sweep the sins of the past under the rug. How does McLeod Plantation walk that line?
2: Well, from the very beginning, Pauline, our intent was to tell the story from a different angle, and that is to share the stories of those who actually lived, sometimes found love, and who died at McLeod. So we set out early to make sure that their lives and their times and their contributions were covered. So since that was our goal from the beginning, we've worked the narrative to where now not only are we talking about those who were enslaved. We're also talking about their descendants, two of whom which I will meet tomorrow. And I am so thrilled. Wow. It is an incredible honor when you talk about people who lived 150 years ago, and then you see someone standing in front of
0: you who was, is a part of that person. It's enormously humbling. That's amazing. You know, Henry Louis Gates Jr., who's an eminent professor, has a wonderful PBS series on tracing one's genealogy. And he, at one point, traces Pharrell Williams' genealogy back to his enslaved ancestors. And it's an incredibly moving episode, but it also shows how difficult it is to find information about people who were enslaved. So how did you go about finding the stories you could tell about the people who lived at McLeod Plantation? Well, we
2: did a number of different things. Uh, we went to the Historical Societies in Charleston. We searched other museums that were in our area that had been collecting data. We went to Ancestry.com. We went to every outlet that had been covering that time frame, including the newspapers. There's an amazing amount of information in the newspapers. Oh. And as we began to build the narratives, we would supplement them with oral testimonies. James Island is very interesting, Pauline, where McLeod is located. It, it had initially about 25 plantations. Every African-American on that island can trace their ancestry back to one of those plantations, mm. which is remarkable given our, our, our how huge our country is. And there's a wonderful village griot by the name of Eugene Frazier, who has painstakingly documented many of those people from those uh, plantations. So Mr. Frazier's work was critical for us in building that initial database of those 74 to 100
0: souls whose names we now know. Wow. So give us one of those names and tell us a little bit about their story and how you trace the story when people come to the plantation.
2: Well, one of the people that's so interesting to us is a beautiful woman by the name of Isabel Pinkney. We know from anecdotal stories that Isabella took care of the McLeod children. She lived on the third floor with her son, Daniel. And at some point, she either left the McLeod plantation and began setting up a boarding house on James Island. So she survives the Civil War. She becomes a landlord and she accumulates some dollars. And then she marries a soldier, a man from the Massachusetts 55th named Simeon Pinckney. She has more children and their marriage survives a very long time into the period we know as reconstruction. They accumulated a good bit of land and then their marriage would end. And this is where we lose track of Isabella. So we're trying to find out what happened to her after that period of time. But on the other end, we're trying to find out where did she come from? Huh. Where were her parents? How is it that she was given, Pauline, as a gift? How do you give a whole human being Crazy. to a family? But that's how she arrived at the plantation, and her job was to care for the children. So we know she lived in that house up on the third floor, and we treasure that. But there's still some pieces that we're searching. So we're talking to people on James Island who knew her
0: extended family and we're searching every resource we possibly can. Now, who were taking care of her children while she was well, taking care of these children? This
2: is this is the dilemma. So many times enslaved women had to leave their own children. Many times they were left with a senior mother who would take care of them while they worked. Other times their children would be right beside them. It is absolutely heartbreaking what the children went through. Then you know something Pauline as tough as it is to reconcile the issue of slavery, to think of the impact of the children, those who were separated from parents, those who were raised by a community, those who grew up alone. And that is the reality that we deal with all the time. But by trying to pull the pieces together, what emerges is the community rallied to those children and they would become a part of a much larger
0: family. It's, it's amazing. Do you ever trace uh, what it was like to be a child on a plantation? We actually know about the life of a very
2: precious little girl, Pauline. Her name was Leah. Leah came to McLeod when she was between four and seven. We believe we have found her in the 1860 census. And the reasons that she was brought to McLeod and ultimately bought was because the plantation owner's wife had died. He had two little girls. And I don't like to say these words, but I will. Leah became, in effect, their black baby doll. She was at their disposal all the time. And she would grow up living there with those children. But I have to tell you, the rest of the story is she would survive, Polly. And she would become a mother and a grandmother. And she would live across the street with her young granddaughter, who one day would see the first Black man elected and re-elected president of the United States. The arc of Leah's life is extraordinary, from that precious little girl who came and walked those grounds alone to having a granddaughter who would live to 2012. And those are the pieces that make McLeod so special. The story doesn't end. And we often tell our guests who come, you are now a part of the continuing story of McLeod Plantation.
0: Now. When you tell guests this and you tell them about some of the horrors that happened at McLeod with children being ripped from parents, people not getting, I would assume, the medical care they needed, people being mistreated and and dying because of it. Do you ever get pushback from some of the guests?
2: We do. We do. Um, And it comes in two forms. One, usually people start crying McLeod triggers things. And we have people who really have a tough time dealing with the emotional impact of actually walking those grounds. And then there are, there's a smaller population, Pauline, of people who say, it wasn't that bad. My parents, grandparents picked cotton. And then there was the gentleman who told me, slavery wasn't that bad until Hollywood got a hold of it. Oh, boy. And we had an incredibly long, sobering conversation about the implications of that statement. And I don't know if he had changed his mind by the time he left, but we certainly sent him home with another perspective. And what we find, Pauline, and it's important to us that everyone feel welcome at McLeod, whether they agree, disagree. We want people to be able to come and talk and experience. And I think that we have opened the door for that, we don't shy away from those difficult conversations. Right. We open it up to the group because we can talk as
0: neighbors and as friends visiting. Well it's been quite the year for difficult conversations. Did Yes it uh, has did the Black Lives Matter movement impact what you were doing at McLeod? Well I would say this, Pauline, seeing George
2: Floyd on the ground yeah. did something in a way that bothered people at such a fundamental level. And right after it happened, people came in droves trying to understand how did it get this way? Why do these things continue to happen? And we don't pretend to have all of the answers, but what we try to do is depict that unbending line that shows the connection between the events that took place in slavery, the systems, Mm -hmm. and how we are proceeding now. And when you can document for people that there is a connection between the past and the present, and in fact, Pauline, that the past is not that long ago, then people step away and they begin to realize, all right, this is beginning to make some sense to me. Then I'll tell you something else that's very meaningful. When people come up to us and say, what can I do when I get home? How can I make change at home? That further lends itself to conversations about how you can help at a local level. Right. So I often feel that the work that we're doing at McLeod it, it extends far beyond just visiting. Right. It actually leads to activism and change, and we welcome that. And if people just need to come and explore the grounds and have a good cry,
0: we welcome that too. So it just some of the practicalities for visiting. Uh, you're you're in Charleston. Uh, yes. How long does it take to visit? Uh, Generally, I would say plan for an hour. Our
2: tours are generally 30 minutes. They could go to 45, but plan for an hour, which gives you time then to walk through the grounds, to go in the house. The house is not actually part of the tour. People go in the house after. It also gives you time to walk down to the water and to take a look at the beautiful view. You know, it's interesting, Pauline, the stories don't begin at McLeod. They really begin back in Africa Mm -hmm. where people were living their lives until that moment when they were captured. And we go down to the water and we talk about the beginning of that story. So it's a good stretch of the legs, as we like to say. And people walk through the fields and they sit and visit, they come up and talk to us, they ask questions. So we would say allow for an hour to really embrace the space and to explore the property.
0: Okay. Well, I can't wait to come to Charleston and do this myself, and I'm I'm hoping you'll be my guide. Uh, If people want to find out more, is there a good website for them to go to? There is. There is. You can visit us online at McLeod
2: Plantation. You'll find us at CCPRC. That's Charleston County Parks and Rec. If you Google that, we'll pop up. And there's a page that's devoted to McLeod Plantation. I hope you would follow us on social media. We have a great Facebook page where we go in depth and tell those stories that we talked about. We're also on Instagram now. So you can find us. We will look forward to welcoming you, Pauline, and to all of your listeners. We're just, we're honored. We're very, very honored to be in this space and to be one of two places in the country. That looks at the issue of slavery Just from two. the standpoint.
0: Wow, wow. that's it. That, it's incredible that there are only two. Well, thank you for the work you're doing, and and thank you for doing this interview with me. We really, really appreciate it. Our last guest today is Barbara Droyo, who is the founder of the Facebook group View From My Window. And I got to say, Barbara, this group, for anybody who doesn't know about it, it had a very simple concept. It allowed people around the world to share the view from their window and to write a little bit about it. So people would post a photo and then post some text on it. And somehow this simple interaction felt, made the world feel big again and small at the same time. It it was such a wonderful feeling of fellowship with with people all over the world. So thank you for creating it. What was the
3: inspiration? Yes. (laughs) Hello. So Gosh. Well, so. Back in March last year, it was a Sunday, March 22nd, and I was on phone with friends and we were talking about the COVID and the lockdown Mm -hmm. in Amsterdam, and I suddenly realized we were all going to be stuck at home with just a view from our window, nothing else. For weeks or maybe months, we didn't know how long. And well, I'm a curious person and I'm a globe trotter. I love traveling. And I thought, wow, what if I could see other people's views all around the world? That would be awesome. And I thought other people would love that too, maybe. And so I thought, what if I asked people to take photos of their views and share them with others on Facebook in a simpler way? And that we could could travel around the world Mm -hmm. through other people's windows safely and with no jet lag. Right. And um, we were all in the same boat. So this was a simple way to connect people around the world. And the day after, I started the Facebook group, View From Window.
0: And do you know, it, it, it exploded. You, you, you have, yeah. how, how many followers do you have it took, now?
3: Yeah, it, it took off uh, immediately. On day five, uh, there were 50,000 members.
0: Wow.
2: Mm,
3: three weeks later, there were 1 million. One oh month goodness. later, we reached 2 million members. And, uh, but after one month, I had to stop accepting new members because mm. the world was starting to come out of lockdown and I wanted to stay close to the original concept, right. with, which is linked to the lockdown. And so now we are over 2 million members. Wow. And because
0: of that, you have created a wonderful book. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So that's just coming out now. How how did you choose which windows to include? Because there were so many wonderful views and stories about those views. Yes.
3: Yes, sure. Uh, At the very beginning of the group, I saved the most striking photos. And very quickly, the photos were placed in different categories. And after that, I selected the most relevant ones according to the stories, striking details or uh, aesthetic nature of the shot. And the resolution of the picture was important as well, because, you know, on Facebook, it doesn't matter. But we need high resolution to print it. Ah. And so Mm -hmm. it was a hard, it was super hard to choose. And in the end, I chose 260 photos and I divided them into 12 chapters with different titles like desert streets, behind the scene, all you need is love, tomorrow is a new day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, so I made it like that.
0: Oh, I can't wait to see the book. How how do people get the book?
3: Yeah, they can buy it on uh, world, which is the official website just launched this week, two days ago, to be precise. <laughs> uh, it's the second life of the group, a uh, new platform, SimSpirit. Uh There is a daily quiz, a lot of photos people can see again, a backstory of the group, a chat room will be set up, only for oh. members in April. Uh-huh. They will log in as a host or as a guest to visit each other's home. So it's, uh, it's, it's my aim now to, to, um, to keep people united and to keep this community alive. Well, and after think... that, there will be an yeah. exhibition. <laughs> and I'm so excited about it. Yes, yes. Wow. Wow. Well,
0: I put up one, actually, uh, many months ago. It was a picture. We've had scaffolding in front of my apartment during the entire pandemic. And uh, it's a picture of my cats looking at what Uh. used to be a view, but is now just bars and
3: wood. And so, and it was, was it posted? It
0: was posted. I I Uh. actually, I included a question because we were about to get a dog. And so I said, how, how is the best way to introduce the dog to the cats? And yeah. <laughs> we, got,
3: we got a lot of good responses. It. The, it, this was a super nice and cute story that, that I love in the group because people, in a simple way, in simple way they, they share their, their daily life. And uh, I think it's that people really loved about in this group.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, that's what I loved. It was a, a it's thank a you. highlight of it was a highlight of my day during the darkest days. Yeah. So thank you, Barbara, and, and we all will run out and get the book.
3: Yeah, thank you very much, Pauline. I I can't wait to meet everyone in 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 a, in a real life and yes. to travel again. Oh my God! Well, I hope so. I hope so. Thank you, Barbara. Thank Bye. you, Pauline.
0: Thank you very much. Bye. And that is it for this week's show. As always, I'm so grateful that you were here with me. And a reminder from last week, uh, as I told you then, we have a walking tour that we want to share with you. We did it in partnership with the the amazing Antenna International. It's free. If you go to Fromers.com, there's an article on it and you can find it there. Our very first walking tour is about Lower Manhattan, but you know, it has photos, it has me talking about the history. So it's pretty interesting. It's 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 a lot of fun to experience, even if you're not in Manhattan. Of course, if you are in Manhattan, that's the ideal thing, to, to walk from place to place. But you'll get a real sense of the city, and I think learn some pretty surprising history and tidbits about the culture uh, from the walking tour. So please visit us at Fromers.com, consider subscribing to our newsletter, and I thank you as always for being here. And if you're traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. See you next week.
1: And can-